Hello, you are listening to the Catching Health Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Atwood, talking to you from the beautiful state of Maine. If you've never been to Maine, you need to put it on your list of must-see places. You won't be disappointed. We've got the ocean, lots of lakes, mountains, farmland, a little bit of everything. And guess what? Portland, our largest city, is considered one of the top 100 best places to live. So there. For many years, I was the health reporter at Maine's top-rated television station, WCSH6. I cannot get health reporting out of my blood, so now I do it on my Catching Health blog and Catching Health podcast. You'll find them both at catchinghealth.com. One health topic that I have covered many times over the years is diabetes. Most people with diabetes, like about 90%, have type 2 diabetes, which is often linked to poor eating habits, being overweight, and not getting any exercise. The other 10% have type 1 diabetes. Their bodies no longer produce insulin, and it has nothing to do with what they eat or how much exercise they get. For some reason, their body's immune system suddenly attacks and destroys the cells that make insulin. Up next, I'm going to talk with a woman whose son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when he was a toddler. Her name is Stacy Sims, and she is an inspiration and a wonderful resource. And later, I'll pass along some important health tips. Welcome to the Catching Health Podcast. I'm Diane Atwood. As we tape this episode, we are smack dab in the middle of Diabetes Awareness Month. My guest, Stacy Sims, has been acutely aware of diabetes ever since her son was diagnosed in 2006, just a month before he turned two. The following year, Stacy started blogging about her family's experience, and then in 2015, she created her award-winning podcast, Diabetes Connections. Her goal with this weekly podcast is to educate and inspire about type 1 diabetes. And I would say she's doing really well in that department. Diabetes Forecast magazine named Stacy as one of its 12 people to know 2017. She is the first podcaster to make the annual list. Diabetes Connections was also named a top 10 health podcast in the 2017 and 2016 People's Choice Podcast Awards, and it is currently nominated for a WeGo Health Leader Award, and I hope I pronounced that right. Stacy is talking to us from North Carolina, where for more than a decade she hosted Charlotte's Morning News on WBTAM, that's the city's top-rated morning radio news show, and she was also a television anchor and a health reporter for several years. So Stacy knows how to communicate and how to communicate well. She also understands and can interpret the language of medicine. So, hi, Stacy. Welcome to the Catching Health Podcast. Hey, Diane. Thank you so much for having me. What a nice intro. Thank you. Well, you deserve it. <laughs> so, as I said, you, like I was, were a health reporter. And so, in that role, you must have done some stories about diabetes. But I'm curious, did it prepare you at all for your son's diagnosis? You know, it's funny. It- It did and it didn't, and I'll explain. Um, It definitely did not prepare me for having a child with type 1 diabetes. Um, I, as you know, when you do a feature health story on someone, especially for television, there's not a lot of time. You're, you're really skimming the surface. And often, you know, people want to 
put on uh, a strong face, you know, diabetes can't stop us. And my son plays sports and does everything. But I didn't know all of the nitty gritty um, day to day that went on with dealing with type one diabetes. But it helped me greatly because when my son was diagnosed, I would do almost every November, I had already done, you know, health stories on diabetes. And I would contact local families. I was in touch with JDRF, you know, the, the great organization that helps people. So I knew enough families to know when my son was diagnosed, first of all, he's going to be okay because I knew that kid who played soccer and I knew that kid who had, you know, gone to college. And But I also knew that I had people I could call and I had a community that it takes other people a long time to find. And to me, that was really the key. And you know how to research things as well. You know how to get in touch with people. You're not afraid to call them, ask them questions, but how to dig deep as well. I did. And my poor pediatric endocrinologist, hmm. when he met us in the hospital, he's terrific. He got right down on the floor with my son. You know, my, my son is 27 pounds. He's this tiny little 23-month-old. And he's trying to kind of explain what's going to happen. And I immediately start interviewing him. You know, what are we going to have to do? And how are you qualified? And what is, you know, it was um, it, it was interesting for him to say the least, but it couldn't have been that bad because 11 years later, he's still our doctor. That's good. <laughs> you, you know, it's funny that you should say that. I have people who will say to me today, oh, uh, almost weekly, oh, you've got your reporter voice on, huh? Right. I can tell how you're asking those questions. <laughs> I'm like, no, they're just human being questions. No, normal nope. people don't ask questions like that. It's so funny and true. Right. So how did you realize there was something wrong with him? You know, it, it, it took a while. I was, as you mentioned, I was a morning radio show host, so I would leave my house around 3 o'clock in the morning every day. My husband um, owned and operated a restaurant at the time, so he was home in the mornings but gone at night. And we would text each other. You know, we had had two little kids. Um, my daughter at the time was not yet five. So in the morning, he would text me funny pictures or say, you know, everybody's fine or, you know, eating cereal. And one morning he texted me and said, you would not believe the amount of pee that came out of this kid. It was about October, I would say, of that year. And he said the mattress was wet. He said, I think the floor is wet underneath. And of course, as you know, um, urination like that, frequent and, and high lo levels of urination is a classic sign of diabetes. And we didn't think that at all. I, my first thought, Diane, was, ha ha, I'm not home. You're right. the one who has to clean this up. You know, lucky me. And it happened once and then it, it didn't happen again for a couple of weeks, but then it happened again. And we noticed that he just was moody. He was tired. Um, you know, little by little, he was not the happy, funny, energetic kid that, that he had been. And the final straw was on Thanksgiving. And this happens a lot to families because, you know, their kids are at preschool or you don't have other family around and you gradually get used to what's happening. But then all of a sudden other people are around and unusual circumstances kind of wake you up. And at Thanksgiving, when we're eating a lot of food we don't normally eat and lots of high sugar stuff, he fell asleep um, several times during the day when it was unusual and he couldn't participate in activities that we thought he would enjoy. Hmm. So, you know, what two-year-old says I'd rather take a nap than go to the petting zoo? things like that. Right. And was he thirsty? Isn't that another oh, sign? Oh, he was, yes, you're right. He was constantly thirsty. He was drinking so much water. And, you know, we didn't give our kids a lot of juice at that age anyway, but milk and even watered down juice. But he would take, I don't know how many ounces are in those classic sippy cups, you know, maybe let's say eight ounces. He would drink one and then ask for another. Hmm. So it was this constant drinking and peeing. And then that falling asleep, 
so the week after Thanksgiving, we we took him to my pediatrician and, and she was great. She said at the time, you know, I've never seen type one diabetes in anyone under the age of two, but bring him in and we'll rule it out. And of course, we wound up bringing him in and ruling it in. They sent us, it took a couple of days and I'm still not exactly sure why. Um, they do a fasting uh, blood glucose test on most people to determine if you have any kind of diabetes. Um, and his was his came back in normal range. It was 80, which is which is great. But then a few days later, we got an A1C test, which is a measure over a longer period of time. And it was clear immediately. I mean, they sent us right to the hospital when that number came in. Hmm. Anybody else in the family have it? No, uh, my husband's family has type 2 diabetes, and that's, uh, you know, it's it's not really genetically related to type 1, um, but a few years after my son was diagnosed, a cousin was diagnosed with type 1. So it's in there somewhere, but we never knew anybody with it before Benny. His name is Benny. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so he's in the hospital, and how did they treat him in that acute situation? Well, we didn't really think it was acute. And looking back, we were pretty lucky um, because his blood sugar, I don't even know what it was. I mean, if I'm going to guess, it was probably like 800 or something crazy. But he was not in what people call a diabetic coma, um, you know, diabetic ketoacidosis. He was um, he was happy. It was one of the few days that we could remember that week where he was feeling good. Um, it could have also been because with untreated diabetes, you get all sorts of, um, you can get infections and other illnesses because your body isn't able to fight them off. So he had had a urinary tract infection that we had just treated. And that was another thing my pediatrician said, no normal two-year-old boy is getting urinary tract infections, kiddo. You know, like, let's, let's take care of this. So he was feeling better and he was happy and playing in the hospital waiting room. And the nurses were thinking, you know, he shouldn't be acting this happy at all. And they took great care of us. We um, they didn't explain it quite right away what was going on. And I finally got a, a physician to tell me kind of in the middle of the night that they were sure it was type 1 diabetes. Because I think in the back of your head as a mom, you're thinking, well, maybe we'll just go home tomorrow and they'll tell us everything's going to be okay. That's, it's just a, a temporary little glitch in the, right. in the system. <laughs> right. Um, did they give him insulin? Oh, my gosh, yes. So what they what they did was they... You know, they pricked his finger, took uh, his his blood sugar at that moment. Uh, they had the blood draw, which had his A1C. And then they started figuring out how much insulin to give him um, in his little body. I mean, he'd also lost um, three pounds, which was significant for a two-year-old. And, and weight loss is another sign of type 1. Um, so, you know, they had to take it a little at a time. And you don't want to bring someone's blood sugar down that quickly. That can also be dangerous. So they were very slowly kind of, we were there for three days. And uh, by the third day, he was back in a safe range. Um, they also check for ketones, mm -hmm. which um, you can check for in urine or in blood. And the ketones, it's a long story, but basically they'll show um, how, you know, if, if your blood sugar has been high, uh, for a long period of time, or even low during sickness, it's basically the body's way of saying something's really wrong here. It's you know you need to you need to take care of something. And he did go to the hospital with um, ketones, but the way they check them in urine is you pee on a stick. Well, when you're still in diapers, no. that's not happening. So they tucked cotton balls into his diaper and then they would like squeeze them out. It was just you know you can also do it with a blood ketone machine now that they have, but at the time that's how they did it. And they discovered that they could actually tell maybe how long he had been developing the diabetes or is it something that just, you know, one day you don't have it and the next day you do? 
You know, that's a great question because it's it's really the key to figuring out maybe how to prevent this someday. Um, the, the thinking is by the time someone is diagnosed with type 1, that they have had it for several months and possibly years, it can be very slow to present. And, you know, I'm certainly not a doctor. This is not my field of expertise. But from what I understand, the research is showing, um, and they what they'll do is they um, ask people who have type one of their families to have siblings and parents and other relatives tested. And there are certain genetic markers they can look for. And then they can kind of track and see, well, this person has the marker when, if at all, do they develop diabetes? Hmm. And so they're learning that perhaps it should be staged. You know, you have a stage one diagnosis way back here before you're exhibiting signs. Um, but that's that's a little bit early for the research to bear it out, but it, it's fascinating. And certainly with type two, they talk about, um, what is it, pre-diabetes. Yeah. Uh, but, right. but let's make sure that we clarify. So if you've got type 1 diabetes, that means that your body no longer produces insulin. It just shuts off. Correct? Yeah. Um, right. So type 1 used to be called juvenile diabetes, but then they realized a couple of things. You can develop type 1 at any age, and about half of all new diagnoses are over the age of 20. And um, people with type 1 grow up to become adults, thankfully, now. So and they, right, you can't call it right. Right, you can't call right. it juvenile diabetes. Because they still have but, it. It doesn't right. go away. Once you've got type 1, you've got type 1. Exactly. Um, so, right, and the pancreas um, has these things called beta cells. And for whatever reason, your body's, it's an autoimmune disease. So your body attacks itself, triggered by a virus or something else, attacks these cells in the pancreas, and you may, you can't produce insulin. Now, there's another school of thought that says there's still... It's not really a school of thought. It's been proven. There's a lot of people with type 1 who still can produce just a little bit of insulin, and the hope is that maybe they can turn those cells back on someday. But, you know, uh, for conversational purposes, right, your body produces no insulin. So you must inject or infuse insulin, um, inject with a, you know, an insulin needle, a pen, or infuse with an insulin pump. And you need to do that pretty much so that you have insulin in your body around the clock, not just when you eat. So there's no amount of, you know, diet, exercise, natural remedy, type 1 diabetes, you must take insulin or you will die. And you will die, I would say, you know, days, weeks. It's, it's pretty scary that way. Wow. Not, uh, must be frightening for you when you stop to really think about it. Yeah, I try not to. I get scared. Like, I'll wake up sometimes and think about, you know, deserted island scenario. Zombie apocalypse. Right. That'll stop me. In my, I mean, I'm kidding. But, yeah, that's that's the, the hard part, um, you know, is when you think about, well, what could happen where he couldn't get his insulin? Um, so that's scary. And then type 2 diabetes is um, they're actually learning that there are more and more genetic components. So I will not say that it's, you know, oh, it's if, you know, it's all obesity and sedentary lifestyle. Certainly lifestyle um conditions can contribute to type one. There's no doubt about that, but there's also a, a big genetic component to it. And they're finding more and more people of uh, leaner weight who can develop type two. And that used to be called adult onset. So something weird is going on. I, I don't, like I said, I'm not a, a doctor. I don't have a theory on that, but it isn't all about, oh, I ate this dessert. Now I have diabetes. Mm. You know, it's obviously a lot more complicated than that. Oh, everything always is. It starts out sometimes as simple, and then right. we learn more, and especially with the genetic research that can be done now. Did you have any genetic testing done? You know what? It's funny. I, I actually did, but but not for this at all. Um, I had, uh, unfortunately, a, a relative in our family years ago before I was even married. A child died from an illness that was 
passed along genetically. So we got tested and um, we're not carriers for it. Um, but it was it was really interesting. Um, I did get and I'm sorry, I, I, I misunderstood the question. I did get the d diabetes testing. Um, it's a group called TrialNet will do that um, mostly for no cost, at least the first time you do it. And you can do it at home or you can. Um, they are often at conventions and diabetes camps. So they're pretty easy to find. And if you're under the age of 40 as an adult, they will uh, test you if you have a child or a first degree relative with a type one. And under the age of 18, they'll test you yearly if you if you so desire, if your parents so desire, if you have a sibling or a first degree relative. And that's the group I was talking about earlier that's trying to really get this database to figure out what's going on and how early perhaps people develop or can develop type one. Right. So you were tested, your husband was t tested or did this particular test and did it show anything at all? No, well, I'm, I am not a carrier. I have none of the markers no. for diabetes, but my husband was too old at the time oh. of the test. So okay, they, then. <laughs> we could have had him tested, but we're like, okay, it has to be you because it wasn't me. Right. And, uh, you so, know, and my, you know, it was funny. My daughter, um, at the time we were planning on it, I just talked about this in my podcast recently, we were planning on doing it and it just kind of got away from us. And now she's 16 and I feel like it's her call. Right, right. Do you think she'll want to? I don't know. She doesn't really, we don't worry about her. Um, it's going to be or it's not, and we know what to look for now. So I don't worry about, like, the biggest danger really in type 1 diabetes is that first time before diagnosis when you don't know you have it. Right. Um, that, unfortunately, is is really when people die from it. I mean, mm -hmm. there are other ways to die from it, but that is the most common. It's when you're in DKA. I mentioned that diabetic ketoacidosis, your blood sugar has been so high for so long that your body just shuts down. And oftentimes it is mistaken for the flu, uh, for fatigue, you know, for other things. And if it's not tested and treated, um, adults, children, um, they die uh, from undiagnosed type 1 diabetes. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's so frustrating because it is easily it's easily diagnosed but you know a lot of people don't look for it first and and certainly as a parent it wasn't where my head went first so um that's pretty scary but with my daughter i you know that's really up to her and i think she needs a couple of years to get away from you know diabetes is the center of the universe right before she decides to do something that's like right that. get away from you and dad and right <laughs> So I, I want to go back to the beginning. So you, you said you were in the hospital for like three days. You get a crash course, and then you're home. And uh, so you've been helping to manage your son's diabetes for all these years. And uh, to me, doing that is, is a balancing act and trickier for some people than others. Is it a balancing act for you and for him? It's changed a lot over the years. It's definitely a balancing act, but the balance changes. Um, you know, at two, it's, I know you can't understand what the heck we're doing and why we're suddenly stabbing you all day long, but we have to do this, right? And we'll, we balance it with trying to remind you that we love you and please don't run away from me. Um, you know, I described those first couple of weeks as like crying and sweating and you know, just trying to hold him so you can give him shots and prick his fingers, which you have to do several times a day. I mean, we were doing it. We were probably checking blood sugar eight times a day and doing shots six times a day at that time. Um, yeah. And, and now it's a balance of, OK, he's almost 13. He knows what he's doing. But I don't know how many 13 year old boys, you know, here's a secret. They're they're bunch of doofuses and they, they don't have the best brains they don't make the best judgment calls but you can't follow them around all day so the balance now is hey make sure you check make sure you give yourself insulin don't forget to take this stuff with you um and also mom isn't going to hover 
even though mom really wants to hover all day long. It's it's a difficult balance. It's different. And now he's almost 13. You've gone through all these stages. You've had to face new challenges, with, probably with every birthday. Um, now, all of us parents, we go nuts when our kids become teenagers, just because they're <laughs> teenagers. But you think it's going to be a little more challenging in your family? I do. I really do. Um, I'm kind of grateful that I have an older child who doesn't have diabetes because it's it's going to be it's a good reminder that not everything is about diabetes, right? Um, t- some teenage dumbness is just teenage dumbness. Um, you know, she is pretty typical, and there's been attitude stuff and drama, and you know, my sweet, wonderful little girl who actually is a pre- pretty good teen. But you know, there have been door slamming moments and stuff like that. But the problem with teenagers who have type one and, and tweens is, you know, their bodies are changing just like everybody else, but it affects everything so much more. Um, in most teens with diabetes, their insulin use skyrockets because growth hormones and all these teenage hormones make them very insulin resistant. Um, they are really experiencing swings that uh, people who don't have diabetes don't have to deal with. And they're doing it all at a time when most of us, you know, don't look back fondly on that much at all. Like, there's all this other garbage going on. We you don't know, right? I want to fit in. Um, I have stress at school. Does that girl like me? Oh, my God, I have a pimple. You know, so <laughs> it's, it's at the time when all this other stuff is happening that um, I would say for the last two years, and and uh, I can share this, but Benny hit, hit uh, puberty a little earlier than a lot of other kids. Um so really, for the last two years, we've been dealing with some crazy insulin dosing changes. And, and thank goodness for my, my endocrinologist who's really held our hand through this. I feel like we did a lot less work for diabetes, even though you're still working your butt off. I mean, it's 24-7. We did a lot less work between the ages of 6 and 10, and we got better results. And now we're working really hard, and it's so hard to keep up with the changes that are going on inside his body. Um, and we're not seeing those, you know, terrific results that we used to get. So we're, we're great. I mean, he's in good health and, and you know, he's fine, but it, it definitely changes things. And it's at a time when, you know, they don't want me hovering. You know, I would show up at elementary school and it's like, hey, mom, I'm so excited you're here. Have lunch with me. You yeah. know, if I show up at middle school. Oh, my God. No, you have, to, you have to drop them off blocks, yeah. <laughs> blocks away. So I'm going to recommend... Um, a series of blog posts on my blog, Catching Health. They were guest posts written by a lovely young woman. She's now 40, and she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when she was 9 years old. And uh, she wrote a series of three guest posts for me. Her name is Nicole Petit, and she wrote about what it was like to get the diagnosis. And uh, we also had her mom and dad each wrote a little short uh, essay about what it was like for them. And then she wrote about being a teenager. And all I can say is to you is good luck. Right. And, uh, <laughs> she, yep. I mean, she's a sweetheart, but it doesn't seem like she was much of a sweetheart then because, you know, she was trying to just be a normal teenager. And then her last segment was, um, what it's like to live with diabetes now, because at 40, she's had to face some other challenges that are connected. But the biggest thing that I got from meeting her and reading what she wrote was her attitude. I mean, she's got one of those can-do attitudes. Like, even if she gets down, she'll take a deep breath and say, okay, got this, how are we going to deal with it? So 
I it need. really is something you need. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I just wanted to recommend to anybody listening and to you to read her, read her guest posts because she did a great job. Yeah. I would also say too that it's so helpful, as I alluded to in the beginning of this, to have that community. You know, I, I have a pretty good attitude, but I also have a lot of times where I think this this is terrible. How are we going to get through this? What am I going to do? You know, my son decided this year he wanted to play football. And every sport with diabetes, uh, we kind of treat like a science experiment because you don't know how the body's going to react. And I had to, you know, figure out how to how are we going to do this? Um, and I had people I knew online and, and in the diabetes community locally where I could say, what did you do? How did you handle this? You know, and it, it's so helpful to have that community around you. I, I know that I really need it. Well, another um, family that I met, their little boy was diagnosed, I think, when he was, well, he's four or five years old now. They got him a dog a specially trained dog because his blood sugar levels would constantly rise and fall um, even in the middle of the night and it just became so stressful and so this is a specially trained dog that um, can alert the family or alert the little boy yeah you know a diabetes alert dog is and i've done i've done podcasts on this as well they can be absolutely amazing um we decided not to get one and what we have and and people who have the males have this technology as well there's continuous glucose monitoring technology and we've had one um the brand name that we use is dexcom and um and i should tell you that they sponsor my podcast so we'll get that right out front but we've used them for four years before they came on board with the podcast and what they do is they make a product and it's a small i don't know how much details to go in here but it, you basically insert it there's a little wire that goes under your skin and the transmitter sits on top of your skin and then it broadcasts via bluetooth and it measures the um the glucose level in your interstitial fluid in the fluid under your skin and there is now a way that so benny can see that on his cell phone and I can see it on my cell phone. Okay. So I can see if his blood sugar is dropping or rising in the middle of the night. And, you know, that is a technology that has really helped us in the last four years um, see trends. It's really nice to be able to see that. You can react a little easier to highs and lows. Um, a dangerous blood sugar, you know, it, you can figure out which direction he's going in so you can treat easier. And uh, there is another CGM on the market, and there's another one coming that's um, a little different, but is similar technology. But I always say, and this is terrible because I know people love their diabetes alert dogs, but, you know, your Dexcom isn't going to poop in your house. And I have, a do- I have a crazy dog that we thought about training, but she's a nut job, so it's not going to happen. Yeah, I think they have spe- <laughs> special dogs. They're trained to sniff out the scents and the saliva. Yeah, oh, which yeah, is pretty interesting. Dogs. And you can yeah. train you can train your dog to do it if you're a good dog trainer, oh. which I am obviously not. No, my, <laughs> I had a dog once who flunked out of dog school. <laughs> I can tell you why. Mm-mm. We were teaching him to heal. I was, and instead of healing, he ran across the gymnasium floor to make friends with a teeny little poodle. <laughs> and they asked us not to come back. Aww. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, well, being a health reporter myself, I totally get why you wanted to start your blog and then you uh, went to a podcast. But what I don't understand is between work, being a mom, being the mom of a child with diabetes, how on earth did you find the time and the energy to do either? Well, the blog was the kind of thing where I really needed to do it. Um, 
I needed, it helped me. It was, it was very helpful to get those thoughts out, to talk about what was going on. I, you know, I did a, as you alluded to this news weather and traffic station where I worked. So we didn't talk about our personal lives a lot. It wasn't that kind of show, but my listeners knew that my, I'd been off the air for a while. My son had been diagnosed with something and they wanted to know what was going on. So I started the blog to kind of say, Oh, I'll tell our story. Maybe it'll help somebody else. But it really wound up helping me because over the years I would just write and get it out. You know, this is bothering me or I don't know how to deal with this. And then, um, in, 2013, at the very end of 2012, I decided to get out of the radio business. Um, it was just those that three o'clock drive to work with my kids and my, my older child in middle school. I was not getting enough sleep and it was really taking its toll on me. So my, we made a huge life change. My husband sold a restaurant. He got a more stable and regular job. And I decided at that time that I would work part time or, or you know just stay home or do something, whatever came my way. And then I decided to do the podcast. And I, I, you know, I don't know about you when you started yours, but it took me a while to pull the trigger because I was so used to having a radio staff, you know, with a producer and an engineer. And, and I was a little afraid about trying to do this on my own. Um, and I just wish I'd started earlier because I love it. It's, it's fantastic. I procrastinated on the podcast for a year and my husband is an editor. And so <laughs> I didn't have to worry about the scariest part but for me, yeah, it's a no-brainer because we know how to talk into microphones. <laughs> yeah. And um, and I, I still get intimidated. I would like to expand mine to be able to actually go out face-to-face instead of being here in a studio, um, do storytelling and things like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so, yeah, I have to wait my obligatory year of procrastination on that, too, I think. <laughs> Can you explain the format of your show? What do you try to bring with each of your shows? Sure. Well, what I'm trying to do is there are, there are a lot of terrific diabetes podcasts out there. Um, many of them, most of them are more first person. You know, the person has type one or type two and is talking about their life or, you know, sharing stories from their personal experience. And I did not hear one that had what I wanted, which was more news interviews, right? Get the health company on the line. Tell me about your new product. You know, how does this thing work? Why are we waiting for that? Um, Talking to celebrities with type one and athletes with type one, but doing more in-depth conversations, you know, the way that um, I like to hear like a Sunday morning news show, things, you know, of that nature. So my show features what I call, you know, prominent people in the diabetes community, um, People like Victor Garber, who is an actor from Titanic, and he's on those Legends of Tomorrow right now, and he is type one. Um, Derek Feeler, who's going to be the new Mr. Immortal when Marvel comes to television in January. Um, football players, I'm trying to think from baseball, Sam Fold. Uh, there's just a, a bunch of athletes that have type one. And then authors and, you know, quote, everyday people who are living with type one. We're going to be doing a Thanksgiving roundtable. Um, the week of Thanksgiving to talk about how to handle, you know, nosy relatives who mean well, you know, should you be eating that? So we're doing a round table. But I also like to get the companies from, um, well, a good example is Animus Corporation, which is a pump, an insulin pump company, part of Johnson & Johnson. They just went out of business. So we had them on to talk about what happened as much as you know they could say. And I'd like to think that that's the kind of interview that somebody who's a uh, you know, a reporter would conduct in a slightly different way or, you know, a very different way than someone who is not. Um, I take questions from listeners. I try to translate when people speak medical ease and they're mm-hmm. not really making sense. Um, 
But the point is to just bring news and information to a community that doesn't get a chance to have a lot of it. I mean, this is this is Diabetes Awareness Month, and I so appreciate you reaching out. But getting any media coverage that's that's of value to the type one community that isn't just another, hey, kid, you can do anything. You know, I, I have type one and I play soccer, which is wonderful. And newly diagnosed families need to see that. But I, I can almost guarantee you that you will not see on your local news the story about the, the plant in Puerto Rico that that Medtronic owns that makes insulin pump supplies that is delayed right now with shipments because of the hurricane. Wow. No, you wouldn't hear that. There's too much right? competition for right. exactly. other it's stories. Such a small market, mm-hmm. right? It's such a small part of the population that it doesn't make sense for, for the news, the local news to cover it. So that's what I try to do is I try to be that news and information source for a community that's really hungry for it. Now, how do you take people's questions? Do you do any live broadcasting or what's the vehicle yeah. for getting their questions? I haven't done anything live yet. I did a Facebook live episode, um, but I haven't done an out in the community. I've taped out in the community, but for questions, I I actually just go on Facebook and ask people to submit. Um, I'd like to use, there's a service called SpeakPipe that a lot of podcasters use, and you can just kind of stick it on your website and they can click on it um, that I may try to use next year because I love to get more voices involved. But it's, um, you know, every time you add another element with a podcast that you do yourself, it's um, it's a challenge. Do you do everything <laughs> yourself? I, I used to, but I don't anymore. I, I record um, on my own. I, I clean everything up the best I can. And then I do have a professional editor who I pay and I send it off to him. And I have music. I mean, my when you listen to my show um, and I just realized this recently, which is kind of funny. My show is formatted like a newscast. Mm-hmm. So I have kind of a cold open, a tease. And that I have an A block and a B block. I have different segments. And um, it made me laugh because I hadn't even realized I had done that. And my editor and I were kind of laughing about it because he doesn't have any other client who does it that way. And you ha- always have to have a kicker at the end, right? right. <laughs> you want people to, to leave with a smile. Uh, I notice on your website that you do um, have a, a link here to send a voice message. Ask your podcast. Yeah cast questions, send a voice message. So you might get something from somebody and plug that into a podcast? Definitely. In fact, um, that I forgot. I was just remembering as you mentioned it. I did a, a show last year. Um, a gentleman started a an event called uh, Bolus and Barbells. And it it's bodybuilders who have type 1 diabetes. And there had never been something like this in the community. And apparently there are a lot of people who do this. And they were so excited to find each other. And they have events around the country now. So I did an interview with him. And they contacted me and said, can we thank him during the episode? And I said, yeah, just send me the audio. So I had five or six people send an audio to say thank you to this gentleman for starting it. And we were able to play it back for him. It was awesome. And it was such a cool thing. Yeah, it's such a, you know, who would think? So now there's there's something for everybody. And if there isn't, you can start it. <laughs> right. Listen, right? Uh, you know, I want to give another plug, too. I found out about you. I joined this fabulous Facebook group, um, She Podcasts. And yeah. um, I don't contribute a lot because I'm basically shy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I have learned so much from them. And that's where I learned about you. So a shout out to She Podcasts. Um, yeah. And to you. Thank you. I'm okay. so glad you reached out. It's a terrific group, and it's, it is wonderful support. Yeah. Um, 
you know, Facebook groups are just kind of, it is incredible and to see how much they've grown. I mean, just, I'm, I'm hesitating because I'm going to take us off in a whole other direction. Um, but Facebook has done a lot this year to study groups, and f- they think that that is uh, where a large part of their future lies. Groups that other people don't have access to, and so you have like, sort of like your private little community. Yeah, yeah. And Facebook knows that, and they're trying to figure out what to do about it. <laughs> so as we near the end here, You've been doing this now for a couple of years. You must have had some expectations at the beginning. So I'm curious if things have evolved as you expected them to, the podcast. What a great question. Um, I would say yes and no. All right, what a bad answer. I, <laughs> I went in thinking that I would I would do a, a podcast all about connections. It was called Diabetes Connections, and it was going to be about how connections really influence us. And I was talking to every guest about, well, how did you meet other people? And, you know, where did you, did you have, a, I had some segments where it's like you know, meeting random people with type one and hearing a pump beep. And, but I quickly realized that that is the same topic every week and it gets more and more boring. And I realized that my audience was interested in technology updates and health updates and stories like when I told you that they're not hearing in other places. And while it's great to do profiles of people who are living extraordinary lives. I mean, I've talked to a Broadway uh, leading lady with type one. I've talked to, you know, an opera singer, as I mentioned, athletes. Uh, there's a NASA engineer. You know, people are inspired by that, but they really want the information that's going to help them. So some of the more popular shows I've done have been surprising to me. Um, it wasn't the guy from NASA, although that one did really well because he was fun and, and terrific. But it was, how do I get my diabetes gear to stick and stay on in the sweaty, wet summertime? Hmm. Right. It was, when is this new technology going to be released? Why was it delayed last year? I thought it was submitted to the FDA. Um, I'm doing a show in the new year about what medic and EMS people look for if you're in a car accident. Because a lot of people don't like to wear medic alert bracelets. They want to wear you know, a, a thin piece of jewelry or have a tattoo. So I know that show is going to going to do well. It's it's more about it surprised me because it's been more about the information than about the emotion. And I think that says something about the podcast listener as well. The podcast listener is not the same as your TV viewer. Right. I mean, they're more technologically minded in the first place. And you really need to get to know who your audience is. Oh, as yeah. Well. All right. I'm going to ask you that same question about your son. So you had expectations way back when about oh. what life was going to be like. And uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to quite ask the question, you know, has life exceeded your expectations? Oh, no, <laughs> it's a good question. I, I was so scared. Um, you know, it's funny. When, when the doctor came in and finally said, you know, he has type 1 diabetes, um, and he also said, well, who stays home with Benny? And uh, n- neither one of us did. He was in daycare. Um, and I was thinking to myself, how am I going to quit my job? I'm the one with health insurance. Mm-hmm. And I just burst into tears. And I was so upset. And Benny reached over and he said, it's okay, mommy. And I said, oh, my gosh. If this kid is, if my two-year-old is telling me it's going to be okay, I better get it together. Yeah. This is, you know, you cannot be crying in front of this kid. And from that moment on, um, I can't say that I knew it was going to be okay because I didn't. I was very scared. But I knew I had to make it okay. Um, I was scared that he wouldn't go on sleepovers, he wouldn't play sports, he wouldn't fit in, he'd be this bionic kid beeping in class. Um, but I'll tell you what, he he's amazing. Um, he owns it. He's a happy kid. As I said earlier, he's a, he's a doofus. He forgets things. 
Um, you know, he's not responsible sometimes, but he's 12. He's, you know, it's developmentally appropriate, I'm told. Um, but he's, he's, I don't know how, if this is okay to say about your own kid, he's happier than I thought he would be. Hmm. I was really worried that it would be kind of a sad life. Um, but modern insulins and good technology um, really make it so that he can eat just about anything. He can certainly do anything. Um, we're also very fortunate that we have great insurance and we have access to what we need. I mean, I can do a whole other show on the price of insulin and, and access these days, which is just a, a tragedy. And um, that's going to be the huge that's going to be the big issue in, in our community next year. It already has started, but there's going to be a lot of protests about the price of insulin. And, you know, it's his life is good. I send him to summer camp. He goes to a, he goes to a diabetes camp for a week, but he goes to a regular sleepaway camp as well. Never thought we would do that. And uh, it's it's made us a different family than I know we would be without diabetes, but we're happy. And that if I could go back and tell myself at that hospital room, I don't know that I would believe that it would be this okay. And that's all you want for your son yeah, too, is yeah. that he'd be happy. Yeah. All right. So how do people find your podcast? Oh, wherever you get your fine podcasts. Um, it's <laughs> Diabetes Connections. Um, it's diabetes-connections.com. You can pretty much search for type one podcast, type one diabetes, and it will pop up. And if there are others that pop up, I always say this day and look, there are, there's a podcast out there for you. If it's not mine, you know, I'm sure somebody else has a great one that you would enjoy. But you can also find me on Facebook as Stacey Sims and Twitter and as Diabetes Connections. Okay. And I will also add links or a link to um, your, your website. And on my website, catchinghealth.com, I'll, I'll put up some direct links for people. And uh, one last thing. So there's bound to be at least one question that I either forgot to ask or never even entered my mind. <laughs> so here's your chance. Is there anything that you'd like to say? Yeah, I mean, I, I would just think when, when you think about diabetes and the different types, um, it, you know, it's it's wonderful and it, it's great if you're educated enough and you know enough to keep them separate or, or know the differences. But at the same time, nobody with any type of diabetes wants it or deserves it. Um, so a lot of people who have any, any different kinds of diabetes, there's a lot of shame and a lot of blame. And um, it keeps people from getting good health care. It keeps people from seeing their doctors. So if you have somebody in your family with diabetes, or maybe you're listening and you have pre-diabetes, or you've just been diagnosed type 2, and you, you know, you're embarrassed or you're not, you're not sure what to do, do what you need to do. It, take care of yourself and don't be embarrassed about it. You know, we don't have these same biases and issues over blood pressure or cholesterol. And I don't understand that. So seek out the community. You can certainly contact me and I can try to connect you with, with somebody who can help out. But there are a lot of great online communities for people with all types of diabetes. And, you know, there was one group that used to say no one with diabetes should be alone. And it does make a huge difference to have somebody who says, I get it. You know, me too. I'm there at Thanksgiving with you when my mom is giving me the big hairy eyeball because I want to eat some mashed potatoes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I've taken my insulin or this is my cheat day or whatever. Um, so that would be my message, Diane, is that it, it really is, is, it can be really isolating and it doesn't have to be. And people can connect with you by going to diabetes-connections.com, your website. Yep. Okay, yep. cool. You made it easy. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for sharing your personal story and your diabetes wisdom with us. 
I appreciate it very much. <laughs> Thank you so much for the opportunity. This was so much fun, and I really appreciate it, Diane. Thank you. You're welcome. I had fun, too. I've been talking with Stacy Sims, who is the host of the award-winning podcast, Diabetes Connections. You can check it out at diabetes-connections.com. And don't go away. I will be back with some catching health tips you will not want to miss. People with diabetes, no matter what type it is, have too much sugar or glucose in their blood. I'm going to run down some symptoms you should be aware of. You have to pee way more than usual, which makes you dehydrated, so you're always thirsty. You've lost weight. You're more hungry or tired than usual. You're nauseous or vomiting. Cuts or sores seem to take forever to heal. You're getting yeast infections. Your breath smells fruity or sweet. And you notice some changes in your vision. Now, as I mentioned, these are just some of the symptoms of type 1 and type 2 diabetes. If you're concerned about any of them, it may be time to see your primary care provider. That's it for today's episode of the Catching Health Podcast. You'll find more podcasts and blog posts at catchinghealth.com. If you have any suggestions or questions, send me an email, diane at dianeatwood.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.